Hey, this is Zach Rausch, and you're listening to Heterodox Out Loud. Each episode features at least one Heterodox Academy blog. And today, a special episode with Glenn Geyer. He's professor of psychology and founding director of the Evolutionary Studies Program at the State University of New York, New Paltz. And one of my professors here with us today on the show. Universities are getting a reputation in lots of corners, um, have become places where the phrase free speech itself is something that it's like almost politically incorrect to say, as crazy as that might sound. Glenn's piece, Politics, Evolution, and Gender, A Heterodox Firestorm and Lessons Learned, is one of the most widely read pieces on the Heterodox Academy blog so far in 2021. We'll check back with Glenn, and I'll speak with him afterwards. Here's what he wrote. It was February of 2008. Our campus interdisciplinary evolutionary studies program had just been launched, and a younger, more naive version of myself, as director of the fledgling program, was excited about this new offering of our university, the State University of New York at New Paltz. A foundational feature of the program following the Binghamton Evolutionary Studies model was a speaker series with public lectures to be given by evolution-minded scholars from a broad array of areas. After discussions among our all-faculty executive board, we decided to invite Lionel Tiger, Charles Darwin Professor of Anthropology at Rutgers, as our first-ever speaker in the series— Dr. Tiger had achieved quite a bit in his career, and his academic title alone suggested that he fit the bill for our series. For his visit, he was slated to give a talk on the modern world from the perspective of Darwin. What would Darwin think of the state of the world, and would he have suggestions for the people in America in 2008? Seemed interesting and on topic to me. But then there was a bit of an issue. Being closely connected to faculty from a broad cross-section of campus, I got word that some faculty members were displeased with this choice of speaker. The immediate catalyst for this, apparently, was a Wall Street Journal opinion piece that Tiger had published calling for the closing of women's studies programs. Our campus had, at the time, a strong interdisciplinary women's studies program, and some people warned me to expect some trouble. It seemed like people wanted to launch some public actions against Dr. Tiger during his visit. As a young scholar looking to launch an exciting new academic program for our students and broader community, I was not pleased. I thought on my feet and decided that maybe we could have a pre-talk event which was framed as more of an open discussion with Lionel Tiger about issues surrounding gender, sex, and evolution. I figured that at such a small, informal gathering, people could have a meaningful back-and-forth with Dr. Tiger, and then we could go on to the big public lecture. It turns out that I was naive at the time. Dr. Tiger agreed to this pre-talk event, which was slated to be held in the intimate space of our honors program around a conference table. It was open to anyone who wanted to join. 
When we arrived at the Honors Center, it was clear that this was not going to be a small, intimate event. The small room was standing room only, and even the hallway leading into the room was packed. Further, several faculty members were handing out what I would later find were anonymous fact sheets, documents that had out-of-context quotes from Dr. Tiger's long-standing career, quotes which were all considered politically incorrect by then-modern standards. It was quite a setup. Dr. Tiger spoke for about 15 minutes on the topic, and then the question-answer period began. It was kind of a bloodbath. People were all fired up. Every time he spoke, he was nearly shouted down. I had never seen anything like it. Fortunately, since then, the Evolutionary Studies program has survived and even thrived. In fact, we are now about to start our 14th annual offering. But the Tiger event remains unforgettable. It was this event that really started my interest in the heterodox movement in the Academy. The controversy from this event was covered by regional media outlets such as the Times-Herald Record. One particular reader's comment on the article in the Times-Herald Record really resonated with me. One of the things noted in the article was a then-recent book by Tiger titled The Decline of Males, which argued that modern societal structures, particularly in education, are biased in favor of girls over boys and that this is generating adverse societal effects. Here is the reader comment that really made me think. Quote, I'm not sure what the true controversy here is, but I do believe that schools have been skewed in favor of girls for years now, and we do need to take a look at how we are educating boys. It can't be the right answer to accept that boys are more prone to ADD and we need to drug them up in order to educate them. I have not read the book, The Decline of Males, by Tiger, published in 2000, but from the title, I would bet this guy has some very valid points. Colleges should not be afraid to discuss this because as a woman and the mother of both a male and a female, I think it is an important issue. Unquote. When my research team met soon after this controversial event, I brought up this comment and we decided to follow up with a study on this issue. This comment, which is surely educated-sounding and thoughtful, was written by a layperson who was, concurrently, a parent of both a boy and a girl. Maybe, we thought, the rejection of the idea of an evolutionary basis to anything related to sex or gender is particularly likely among people who are a. academics and b. non-parents. As it turns out, there is empirical overlap between these categories as academics are less likely than other professionals to have kids. We designed a study to see if the belief that evolutionary forces play a role in shaping various kinds of phenomena is related to political orientation, status as an academic, and parental status. We had a sample of academics from around the U.S. and a matched sample of non-academics, we asked participants to rate items from different categories in terms of the degree to which they believed that nature, proxy for evolutionary forces, accounted for them. The categories were as follows. Behavioral differences between boys and girls, 
behavioral differences between men and women, behavioral differences between hens and roosters, universals in human behavior that are not related to sex or gender, behavioral differences between cats and dogs. Our findings were quite clear. Academics, people who identified as politically liberal and non-parents, significantly rejected the idea of evolved behavioral sex differences. This finding was true even when asked about hens and roosters. Further, scholars from the fields of women's studies and sociology were particularly likely to report that hens and roosters behave differently from one another, primarily due to nurture. Is the academy politicized? The data from this study, as well as from a more recent study from our lab, suggest that the answer to this question is an unequivocal yes. This is deeply troubling, not least because the point of the academy, to my mind, is to advance open inquiry in order to help us best understand the world and our place in it. Narrator Richard Davies with Glenn Gayer's blog, published in February of this year. Before I chat with Glenn, a quick word about our public events at Heterodox Academy. Community colleges are a staple of American higher education, and yet they're often overlooked. Join HXA on May 4th, Our panelists will share their personal experiences, teaching and working at community colleges, and explore effective teaching methods for these diverse campuses. You can register for the event at heterodoxacademy.org. Now, our blog debrief with Professor Geyer. First, we wanted to know more about the talk by anthropology professor Lionel Tiger that Glenn wrote about in his blog. Um, Some people didn't like some stuff that he had said years prior to his his visit and there was something of a protest and to have the very first event of our fledgling program come under extraordinarily um intense protest that wasn't the plan (laughs) you know what i mean that's not what i was going for can you talk a little bit about why you think his talk specifically was so controversial sure in academia, there's a record of everything that you say. And um, Lionel Tiger has been doing research going back into the 1960s. And I, to be honest, I do think that some people were um, not happy that our campus was starting a program surrounding evolution. A lot of people don't realize that within the academy, in universities, evolution isn't always the most popular idea. You know, we think of evolution as being protested by maybe people, uneducated people, people that are highly religious to the Christian um, fundamentalists movement and this kind of thing. And and sure, there's lots of resistance to evolution from all kinds of corners. But within the academy, within universities, um, there's extraordinary resistance to the idea of evolution, particularly when you start talking about evolution applied to the human experience. Um, and to human behavior. David Buss, one of my favorite scholars, uses the phrase that some people like to, to think that evolution in humans stops at the neck. <laughs> so it's like you're not allowed to talk about the brain, behavior, psychological processes in humans as resulting from, from evolution. So Lionel Tiger brazenly used the evolutionary perspective for years in his own work, um, which I think predisposed people to sort of be a little a little concerned. 
And someone had um, passed around, other faculty had started passing around this Wall Street Journal opinion piece that he had written and had published, which was essentially calling for the closure of women's studies programs. And I will tell you that when I saw that, I was like, oh boy, that's, that's not going to be very popular on our campus, which has a great women's studies program, strong faculty um, affiliated with it. And people at SUNY New Paltz are not afraid to speak their mind. I kind of wasn't totally, totally shocked. Um, but that was the catalyst. When, when people saw that, you know, there was a lot of outrage, a lot of the kind of outrage that we see at, at a lot of these things where academic speakers and events and so forth are sort of being shouted down. The nature of the, the protest ended up being um, in the form of these anonymous, what were called fact sheets. So they, they were not signed. They had quotes of his from his 50 plus year career that were like the most politically incorrect things that he had written in his entire career. And there were hundreds of these printed up and everyone who came within 10 feet of the event, you know, was was given one of these. And he walked into the room and he saw these sheets and he picked one up and saw what it was. And I swear he teared up. And he was like 70 something at the time, definitely seemed like a nice old grandpa. And I just remember my heart sunk for him right before he was going to give this public lecture. And he looked at me and he said, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. And I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, dude, you got to do this. I'm like, you got this. You know, so it was really I was in this position of, you know, really having to encourage this very seasoned academic in this particular moment. That was more than 12 years ago and was kind of a turning point. Since then, I have been, in addition to all my other academic interests, extremely interested in advancing open-mindedness, open inquiry, open science, um, heterodoxy within the academy, because the purpose of the academy is to advance knowledge and open inquiry. It is not about squelching voices. Your experience with Dr. Tiger was in 2008. Can you tell me how the climate on campus has changed? Yeah, that's a great question. Universities are, and they're getting a reputation in lots of corners, um, have become places where the phrase free speech itself is something that it's like almost politically incorrect to say, as crazy as that might sound. But when you step back and look at, at the campus, we've had... Um, like a lot of campuses, it's not unique to SUNY New Paltz by any means. We've had incidents where people with voices, opinions, ideas that go against what I would consider sort of the prevailing narrative have, have really come under fire. We had um, one conservative speaker who was going to come in, in Cliff Kincaid in, in um, 2016, who was essentially disinvited through sort of a a botched kind of communication system that was really unfortunate. He ended up getting reinvited, and then that was kind of awkward. The president, Don Christian, um, who's, I think, a very big advocate of freedom of speech in the academy, formed a free speech task force, of which he asked me to chair it, which, of course, I was glad to. It was so interesting because then there were still multiple incidents beyond that. Even the the formation of the free speech task force was controversial. One of the main things that we did was we invited Jonathan Haidt to come speak to our, our campus because he's obviously someone who's um, so big in the field of heterodoxy and in the movement of 
getting multiple perspectives heard and opening the minds within the academy. And he gave a, a talk that was a great talk. It was about the distinction between a social justice orientation for a university versus a um, learning-based or, or advancing knowledge um, approach or orientation of a university. And it was really provided a lot of data. It was super well presented. He's you know, a very professional speaker. And at the end of the talk, I was like, wow, that was great. And I turned around and, and this standing room only room with 300 of my colleagues, people were furious. People, it was as if he had said something quite blasphemous. And I'm like, bruh, I'm like, that was great. His main point wasn't everyone ought to think this other way. His main point was we should open our minds and communities to as broad an array of perspectives as as really is appropriate given the, f- the function of the university. I totally agree with this idea that universities, I don't think intentionally, and I don't think there's malice in this. Let me Let me start with that. But I do think that they have become places where certain perspectives are really not allowed. And if you were to give us a bottom line um, in what you're hoping our listeners would take away from your blog, what, what would you say? We sometimes need to step back. And I think that academics in particular might benefit from stepping back. You know, we get so stuck in our own fishbowls and our own way of seeing things and our own silos. Sometimes if you step back, you can say, well, wait a minute, maybe it doesn't really have to be like that. Um, I think that academics hopefully can can read that and can hear a lot of the other information coming from groups like the Heterodox Academy and similar groups and step back and say, you know, I can still maintain my political ideology and my philosophy and my perspective, but I can concurrently add to it that I value the capacity for people with disagreeing perspectives and ideologies to join me in the conversation, to join me in the faculty, to join me in the community. And this is ultimately something that I I really hope that we can, as a broader community, move toward in the coming years. Thanks so much, Glenn. Great. Thanks so much for having me, Zach. Glenn Geyer speaking with me on Heterodox Out Loud. I'm Zach Rausch. Find more of our episodes at heterodoxacademy.org. If you like what you're hearing, follow our podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, rate or review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Thanks for tuning in.